welcome to another episode of Everyday Theology. My name is Guy Parkerson, and this is my friend Ian Stamps. Welcome. So we're going to, uh, you didn't preach on Sunday. I did not. No. So we're just going to kind of play it by ear and talk about something that I thought was fun. You let me kind of pick. So yeah, that's absolutely. What, that's where we're going to go. Sounds like a so good plan. So I'm going to drill you. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. Sin. Think you could divine that for us? I mean, it's about yeah. as fundamental as you get is, you know, yeah. what is our broken, our broken state? We define that as sin. Yeah. So I, I think this is one of those really largely misunderstood concepts in the world in theology, the world doesn't even want to use the word because it has such negative connotation to it, and rightly so. I mean, sin's a bad word. So people will use words like brokenness. Uh, they'll even attach medical terms to it, uh, dispositions and things like that. The, the Bible, the English Bible, just uses this overarching sin to describe that brokenness, that failure, that inability to... Uh, to live up to God's requirements. So it, it's a rich concept. So in the New Testament, for example, there are 15 unique Greek words that are all translated as sin. So it's not just a word with a definition. It's, it's a multi-orbed, all of these different vantage points that speak to sin. The, the most well-known is the Greek word hamartia, uh, it means to miss the mark. So it's a shooting term. Uh, so you've got a target and you, you take aim and you totally miss the mark. Um, that's sin. God has a target, his holiness, his righteousness, obedience to his commands. And what do we do? Well, we miss the mark. We don't do that. Uh, so that, that's a rich concept itself. But there are 14 other words that additionally add to the richness of the idea. So you know, one of them means to step out of bounds. So it's like a sports term. Mm. And so what happens when you step out of bounds? Well, play stops. You, everything's fine inside, but once you step out of bounds, then it's, then it's over. You know, one of them means to fall short. So it's not just I've overstepped some bounds or I've missed the mark. I, I could have gotten there and I didn't, either by choice or whatever it might be. I didn't quite get to what God has for me. So sin is this overarching condemning reality over the human. Um, and we view sin today like it's something that, that you do. You sin. The, the Bible presents a much more comprehensive view of sin. It's not just something that you do. It's part of who you are. You are a sinner. Therefore, you sin. So you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Uh, it's a different way to look at it. It defines our human fallenness. Uh, so one author I read years ago described it like this. He said, if your life is a, a computer, sin is a virus that has infected your hard drive. So it's not just about an action that you take. Everything in your life is infected by sin. Your attitudes, your motivations, all infected by sin. So it's, it's far more than you made a momentary bad decision that had some consequences. It, it's much more comprehensive in your life than that. Mm -hmm. it, it's, 
it's the, the, the wrong thing that drives and defines you. That's sin. So how would you describe the sanctification process when you're describing sin and this virus? Would, yeah. Would it be somewhat of kind of like God is rewriting that code? to Yeah. Where? I think that'd be a really good way to put it. So, so sanctification is the big theological, biblical word for becoming more and more holy. It's based on the, the Greek word for holy. Uh, so you're, you're becoming holified is really how you could easily translate it. So you're being sanctified. So God has saved you. Now there is this process, this ongoing process in your life where you're getting more holy. The, the Lord is working in you and you're overcoming some sin. You're looking more like Christ. You're becoming more loving. The fruit of the Spirit is being expressed in your life a, a bit more. Uh, so yeah, you could easily say, um, that, all right, well, if sin is a virus that affects the hard drive, God's rewriting the code. He's, he's addressing this issue. He's addressing this issue. And issue by issue, sin by sin, decision by decision, you are being transformed. You're getting better. Okay. So I like the definition. <laughs> but it seems like we can kind of soften the blow of what sin actually is. Okay, we've missed mm. the mark. Why does God find that so offensive to him? To, yeah. to, to the point where he would um, essentially um, condemn us. Yeah. I think you're getting right at the heart of biblical Christianity with, with that question. Because you know, people will look at the reality of sin and, all right, I get it. I've messed up. I've blown it. I've got misordered priorities. All those you know, phrases people will use to talk about their sin. But it really feels like God is overreacting to my sin. That's a great of, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, of course I've, I've messed up. I'm a human being. I'm only human. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God would then respond to this, these handful of singular decisions I've made. He's going to condemn me to hell for all eternity. Man, God's petty and, and overreacting here. And all of that stems from an a misunderstanding or a dismissal of God's nature, this character. So here's why God is so horrifically offended at sin and, and will condemn it. People will, if you ask people to describe God, what is God like? They'll go all over the place. Mm-hmm. The most popular place to go is God is love. Where you're going. He's yeah. love. Uh, so everything that God does is defined by love. Well, biblically, love is not God's predominant characteristic. Holy is his predominant characteristic. So we see it in Isaiah 6. We see it in Revelation 4 and 5. These visions of the throne room of heaven, the the seraphim, the angels, in God's throne room, they're singing. Holy, holy, holy. What are they singing? They're not singing love, love, love. Mm -hmm. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So you know, to say it to the third time, you're taking it to the superlative, uh, to the extreme. Uh, it, it is the utmost of, of holy. He's holy, holy. It's like saying very, very, yes, very. Yes, very, very, very holy. It's, it's to, the, to the nth degree. This is the primary characteristic of God. And all of his other characteristics, attributes, all stem from his holiness. So God is holy. So if that's the case, um, that God is utterly, fully holy in a way we can't even comprehend, 
totally other. That's a, a good way to describe holy. It means other, it means set apart, different. God is not like us. God is not a more evolved version of you. He is a completely other being. And because he is holy, any sin that is an act or an attitude or a motivation that is unholy, it cannot exist in his presence. So the Bible says God hates sin. He rejects sinners. Even that concept is, they, yeah. they only, God hates. Yeah, God hates. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you read the Psalms. God abhors the wicked. Well, how could that be? Mm. You know, did, doesn't it, the Bible say God loves the world? Yes, because God is also loving. But because God is holy, uh, so we, we have this phrase uh, that, that is used in, in contemporary Christianity, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yeah. That's not what the Bible teaches about God. He hates the sinner. Uh, he abhors the wicked because God doesn't separate sin from the sinner. You are a sinner. And if God hates sin, what does that mean about you? Uh, so that, that communicates an utter condemnation and rejection of mankind by God. So the fact that anyone is ever saved is a miracle we can't even fathom, which speaks to his love, to his mercy, to his grace, that as a holy God who condemns sin, how in the world could anybody then be saved? Yeah. Um, so that kind of opens up the door to another question. Is it, is it even possible for us to stop sinning in this life? Well, I'd say that's a great question. Um, and over the centuries of church history, multiple answers have been proposed for that question. Can you become so mature in your faith, so sanctified in this life, that you would eventually reach a form of perfection, sinlessness? Um, so there are very well-known theologians throughout history, John Wesley, for example, uh, who believed that the answer was yes, that you can reach this place of sanctification where you're, you're essentially sinless. Um, I, I think that's really naive. I think it's a hopeful belief, but I think it's really naive. You are a sinner. You have a sin nature that though you've been forgiven in Christ and he saved you, you're declared innocent and free until the Lord returns in the new heavens and the new earth, the sin nature is not destroyed. It's not completely gone. Um, used to, you know, the, the New Testament refers to it as the old man, the old nature. Um, so we have to take off the old nature, put on the new. Mm -hmm. Take off the old man, put on the new. Well, that implies the old man's still around. So yes, you're going to become more and more like Christ as the years go by. You're going to mature over the years as you strive towards personal holiness because uh, the scriptures teach, God says, be holy as I am holy. Well, th that's a standard that is unreachable for sinful human beings. It's still the standard. So this is what we pursue. This is what we trust the Holy Spirit to continue to produce in us these greater levels of holiness. But to think that you're going to be completely sinless in this life, I, I, I simply don't see scripture teaching that at all. So, so does that kind of open up the door to the contentious argument of do we have free will? If yeah. I had, if I had complete free will and I recognize that my target is Christ, 
if I had free libertarian will, wouldn't I just simply be able to stop sinning? Oh, yeah. And I don't recognize that in yeah. my life. It comes down to personal discipline. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is be more disciplined. Uh, you know, make better decisions. That, that's what it would all come down to. So the question then becomes, how free is my free will? Because you have a form of free will. When you woke up this morning, you chose to put on those clothes. God, God didn't choose that for you. You, you made that decision to do that. That, that's a form of free will. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we went to to brunch earlier. God didn't tell me what I had to order. I, I ordered that because that's what I want. Uh, so there, there is a form of free will. You sin every day. I sin every day. Well, that's not obviously God's preordained will that I w would sin against him. So there's a form of free will. Yet at the same time, my free will and yours is bound to a sinful human nature. We have a computer uh, virus coursing the, through our it, veins. We've been corrupted. Mm -hmm. um, so Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, uh, wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. And this is the point that he writes in the book. Uh, it is one of the most formative, influential Christian books in the history. The of bondage of the free the, will. The bondage of the will, that your will is bound to the reality of sin. Uh, so yes, you have free will in that you're choosing where to live, what to do, how to look, all of that. But that doesn't mean that you are free to be perfect like God. Um, because you've got this reality of a sin nature uh, you, you, you used the, the image earlier when we were talking, you know, the ball and chain that you're carrying around with. That's not free will if you're shackled to this big thing called sin. Uh, so are you truly free? Well, in that sense, no. Uh, you are, you're a sinner. You were born by nature, and then by your choice later, you're a sinner. It doesn't the Bible even, it describes us as being dead. Yeah, you're dead in, in sin, uh, so a couple things with that. What does that mean? Yeah, you've got uh, this issue of being under the the headship of Adam. You are in Adam, our first parents. Um, you are under the reality of sinful rebellion. Because of that, spiritually, you are dead. Ephesians chapter 2, where I spent my, my morning devotional time, Ephesians chapter 2 is just, I mean, I, I would argue, along with Romans 8, greatest chapter in the Bible. Incredible chapter. But you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Well, what does that mean? So, yeah, break that down. Transgressions and sins. Yeah, so transgressions you're, is a big word. Yeah, so you're talking about two of those ideas yeah. uh, of, of these 15 words. Two of them are used in Ephesians 2.1. So a transgression is a violation of the law. Sin is missing the mark. So you've got even... You know, two different images coming after to describe your sin. Mm -hmm. You're you are spiritually dead in your sin, in the reality of your sin. Separated from God, who's the source of eternal life. Your sin has separated you from Him. Therefore, you're dead. Uh, is Greek word necros, where we get necrotic. You're dead. So he, here's there's a lot of implications to that. Uh, here's a big one. Uh, people who are spiritually dead don't make decisions to follow Jesus. Dead people don't make decisions. What do dead people do? We lay there. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, right? They rot. Yeah. That's what necrotic things do. Over time, they get more and more rotten. We don't just lay stagnant. No. We get you get worse. worse. Yeah. So think of our world. Why does our world seem to progressively get worse? It's getting more and more rotten. That's mm -hmm. what dead things do. They rot. 
So only, only God can raise the dead. So your soul is dead. You can't by any amount of effort, reading, study, good works, bring your dead soul to life. So that's what Ephesians 2 is about. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. But, verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, the two greatest words in the whole Bible, but God, out of a, a richness of mercy, made you alive with Christ. So what made you alive with Christ? You? Hmm. No. no. God did this. God resurrects the dead. So you're separated from him, dead to him, and by his mercy, he raises your dead soul with Christ and seats you with him in the heavenly realms. You're saved. And it, it, I think it's kind of neat that they call this rising to Christ again your second birth. Yes. The, the, yeah, the new birth. And, I, and mm -hmm. a, a neat way to think about this, too, is I had absolutely nothing to do with my first birth. Nothing. Yeah. I had no part in it. Yeah. Um, next thing I know, I'm just here. Yeah. What would make me think I had anything to do with my second birth? That's right. So this is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So Nicodemus comes to him at night. <laughs> yeah. And kind of a comical verse. Too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What must I do? Now, do you think he was serious when he said that? Finish the verse that way. Yeah. I, 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 I think Nicodemus was, was genuine. Genuine. I, I, he's trying to figure out. Because uh, he says to Jesus, you're obviously from God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, there's no denying that. So how then can I be saved? Uh, and Jesus teaches the new birth. You must be born again. So that was completely foreign to that culture. Oh, yeah. Well, so, think he, so he's a Jewish religious leader. Mm -hmm. What do Jews teach about how to be right with God? Follow the law. Do, do, do. Just do these things and you'll be right with God. That's all God cares mm -hmm. about. So Jesus steps in and says, oh, no, 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 no. You have to be born again, new life. And here's the thing. You know, you, you got kids. You, were you in the room when your kids were born? Yeah. So you're in the room. You, you experience, I mean, it's miraculous to, to experience. Yeah. I mean, oh, my goodness, what all this incredible stuff that's happening here. Here's what I know. I get, I've got four kids. I was in the room for three of their births. Our fourth adopted. We, we weren't there. And... Here's what I know happens in that room. Everybody's praising mom. And rightly so. Like, oh, you did you did great. I mean, you put up with the pain, you endured, you, you did all this stuff when you didn't want to. No one is over in the, that little plastic tray that they put underneath the heating lamp. Nobody's patting the baby on the back saying, good job. Good job. The baby didn't do diddly squat. That'd be foolish. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how goofy. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He was born. Passive. So you have to be born again, not go birth again. Be born. It's a passive act. The baby didn't do anything. The mom did all the work. So you can hold no credit for your first birth. It's something that completely happened to you. So when we talk about the second birth, the new birth, how is it that we pat ourselves on the back and say, you want to know why I'm saved? Because I read, I sought after God, and I studied, and I'm so smart that I figured this out, and therefore I'm saved. It, that's an offense to God. As you're saying it, it sounds arrogant. It sounds stupid, doesn't yeah. it? It's so prideful yeah. Look what I did. To, to blame ourselves for that. Or you know, the, the twin of not just I'm smart enough, but I'm so, I'm so good. Mm. I'm so moral that God is obligated to save me. It's just, it's just a wretched standpoint. You're dead in your sin. 
but God made you alive with Christ. He's responsible for doing all of that. He alone raises the dead. Okay. Dead people don't raise themselves. No, they don't. Uh, so, okay. So we have these transgressions against our creator. Mm-hmm. Um, we've broken the law. We have a, we have a debt to pay. Mm-hmm. How, how, if our works are no good, is this where the good news comes in? This is the gospel right here. This is why, this is why we love the gospel. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why our hearts are devoted to him because your only hope to be saved from your sin, your only hope to be raised from the dead is because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I am unrighteous. Jesus is righteous. And he imparts to me his righteousness. Uh, I mean, th- this, is, this is Romans, the uh, end of chapter three, but now a righteousness apart from the law has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify, righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. So we trust in Christ and my debt is removed. And now his righteousness is given to me and God views me through the lens of the righteousness of his son. This is our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and uh, I think that even, I mean, that's it's such a beautiful concept. There's nothing else out there like that. Oh. Every world religion. Yeah. There are two things I think that set apart Christianity from the religions of the world. One is the doctrine of the Trinity. That's a uniquely Christian belief that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And secondly is the gospel. That, that it is his work that saves, not our own. The world religions simply teach, you just need to be good enough and moral enough that the gods will show you favor. Christianity steps in and says, you could never do that, ever. But because of Jesus Christ, he'll show you favor. It's, it's a foreign work from outside of you that does this for you, which is why people hate it and reject it because it's a humbling truth. Uh, because, I mean, I like to, pat myself on the back and think I'm responsible for this. It's not really the case. No, uh, like I, I think it sums it up when you say, what do dead men do? Nothing. Nothing. And, and that's, that, those, aren't, those aren't your words. That, no. That's scripture. That, that, yep. yep. That, that's book, chapter, and verse. It's in black and white. We're characterized so, as dead yeah. men. Yeah, so we're not, we're not making this stuff up. We're not you know, implying things. It's explicit in the text. You're dead. Hmm. And there's no way around it. Well, that's going to open up a whole bunch of other things that I look forward to talking to talking to you about. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, there there are entire systems of theology that have divided Christians since the very beginning over how one gets saved, why one gets saved, who's responsible for their saving. Uh, I mean, th- this is this is this is what it comes down to: who's responsible for you being saved? You. Or God. Oh, I hope. Here's the thing. Do you really want to stand before God in judgment after you die or Jesus returns? Do you really want to stand in that moment based on you? Yeah. Yeah. Look what I did. God forbid that I ever have to stand before him and be responsible uh, for my own salvation because there's not a chance in the world that that's the case. I have an advocate One of the words the Bible uses to refer to Jesus, this one who comes alongside. I I have an advocate who who represents me before the righteous judge, who took the penalty on my behalf. 
So I'm, I'm not there based on my own merit. I'm there based on his. You know, I think it'll be fun to take um, a, a future episode and just, since we define, since we try to define what you, you did a very good job of defining what sin is, I think it'll be fun to define what good is. Oh, yeah, sure. Because I think we've taken the definition of that and put our human standard on it. Yeah. That, yeah, if, if I can just be good enough, it'll, it'll erase all these bad things. Like, well... What is good? Yeah. It, it, it all depends on how you define these words. And you can come up with all the definitions you want. I can come up with all the definitions I want. The only one that matters is how God defines these mm. things. He gets to decide what these things are. So we go to him based on the, the authority of his word. And we let him define these words because that, that changes the game. Yeah. You know, let's leave him on cliffhanger. Let's, let, let's maybe talk about good in the future. That'd, That'd be great. Fun. Yeah, look forward to that. That'll awesome. be fun. Ian, thank you. Hey, happy to do it. Another one in the books. Always a joy to hang out with Ian yeah, and I have agree. fun conversations. I agree. Thank you, yeah. guys. Appreciate it. Yep, see you soon.